Welcome to a very special series here on Headroom. Travel to the Holy Land of Jordan and to the capital city of Amman. A generous people steeped in shared displacement over generations, forming a lively culture of food, family, respect, and tradition. Journey with me across the world to Amman, Jordan. This is Headroom. You know, there are so many places that I would love to start, Waleed, that I've had in such an incredible experience experiencing the culture, seeing different parts of the country. And one of the things I've talked about with people is that in America, really the region in general, and if we then zoom in on Jordan, is a mystery. And it's a mystery, I think, only because we don't learn, we're not taught about Jordan, the culture, the people. And so we basically pool all the Middle Eastern countries together, and then we sort of lean in Hollywood, and. The, <laughs> Hollywood paints whatever picture you know, they think we should be uh, paying attention to. The thing that has struck me so far this week here in Amman and getting to know people connected to your family, uh, ITG and affiliates, and then even tour guides and, uh, and drivers is the sense of family. Tell me about, let's start there. Let's go ahead and just sort of jump right in. Um, Tell me about the meaning of family in relation to business. Why is it so important for you? Because I've been hearing people that have worked with you now for years. They, they love it. They see their own personal and professional growth. It's a, they feel a part of the fabric of the family, not just ITG. First of all, welcome to Jordan, uh, uh, Rod. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you. Thank you. Uh, I think, I think ITG is not an exception of any other organization uh, that, that started in the country. It's part of the fabric that, that you know, established the whole country in terms of business, culture, and even the political scene within, within the whole region that we live in. Uh, the family issue is very important because, one, this is a tribal society. So at the end of the day, you are who you are because of, not only because of what you know and what you were able to achieve, but also because of the family that you belong to. At least this is how it started. But that started to vanish towards the, you know, the modern country that we wanted to build. One part of it remained there, which is how you treasure your family and how you deal with it. For the companies that were established at certain time in the 80s, middle 80s, late 80s, okay, it was a tough time for Jordan, really tough time. And the only way to move forward was to establish, you know, an extension of your family so that you can operate. Otherwise, it would be, you know, a very cold relationship that you cannot count on. And I think, I think... It's not only ITG, but also ITG is not an exception that was proudly one of those companies that we have established on those bases. So talking about service-oriented company in, at that time, IT in specific, okay, that was not even heard of, okay, uh, required people to stay in the office at least 18 hours a day. A day. A day, 
which means that this is the place where they spend their time more than at home with their family members, with their children. Well, no children. We were all young at that time. <laughs> okay. But at least this, this became, you know, home, second home. It became the foundation. It became the foundation of everything that we wanted to build. Not for the founders only, but also for the people who worked at the company. Where did that start for you? Because I want to know more about, I want to know about you as a boy. And, and because I don't think that these things can be taught necessarily, that there's something that starts or a thread that starts for somebody where they, they understand. I mean, look, we live in a world now where if I have an idea, I think about monetizing that idea, right? I think about my brand. I sort of think about the, the seven other things I'm going to invent or companies. And I may not think about establishing a foundation and understanding that if we're going through tough economic times, if we feel like family, that not only will support the growth and stability of the business, but the trust and the loyalty. Absolutely. Trust and loyalty is the most important thing that personally I use, you know, to get people around me. Knowledge can be acquired. Knowledge can be given. Uh, uh, and and uh, knowledge can be taught. Uh, but uh, trust is not something that you can buy. Loyalty is not something that you can buy. This is something that you have to earn. And unless you genuinely believe in that and you act accordingly, you will never ever be able to get the trust and the loyalty. Those are the two things that needs to be always considered. This is not in Jordan. This is everywhere. At the end, at the end of the day, I have experienced that at least in four continents, Africa, Middle East, America, uh, you know, name it, wherever we exist and operate, I found out this is the most common thing among, uh, you know, every, among all the places that I have been in uh, and, and I operated at. Now, going back to the starting point, I would like to say, you know, I had this dream when I was five years old. It was not like that. No. <laughs> you were six. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe I was a little bit older, but I was, I think, you know, one of the maybe third year, second year at university, at Yermuk University in Erbit, north of Jordan. Okay. It was New Year's. And being uh, in a community that, you know, did not celebrate New Year the way you would celebrate it today, okay? Uh, before going to sleep, I remember making uh, a promise to myself that, one, I will not be a reseller to anybody. And two, I will make my dollar from something that I make in my hands. That entailed translated to when I graduated, the normal thing for anybody who would graduate in computer science majored, okay, that you would go outside. There is no business for computer scientists in Jordan. That industry did not exist at that time, okay? So to against all odds, I said, all right, I'm not leaving. <laughs> so I'm staying in Amman. I'm going to start something in Amman, but it's not going to be that I'm going to be a reseller, a trader of even the profession that I have studied. It's almost, you know, if you think if, if someone is an explorer, they go to lands unknown. This is almost like, like you're inver it's inverting the explorer concept. Completely, completely the opposite way. Absolutely. You know, 
And, and everyone thought that I was crazy because there was no industry. It was not there. Were you always a risk taker, even of as course, a child? Of course. I, I love to take risks. I'm not a gambler, okay? But I love to take risks, okay? Calculated risks. And I'll, I'll give you an, some examples while we, we move on, okay? On how, how risks should be taken, at least from my perspective. For example, now we're going, you know, through, through tough times. Financial crisis, obviously, is coming, okay? To me, this is the time to invest. You know, if you know of, or actually if you knew how to manage your money when there was no financial crisis, and this is how uh, I will build on that. Anyway, the, the point is having that decision made it very easy. You know, there was no hesitation about what is going to be the next step. The next step, I am in Amman. Okay. But there is no business in Amman. All right, let's find where business is. Europe was the question or the answer. And this is how we started serving, you know, the European market from Jordan. And at that time, Germany was the, the uh, you know, the country that we started from. Uh, but Germany to Jordanians at that time was Mercedes. So if you are going to Germany, you are going to Germany to buy a Mercedes or Mercedes parts to sell to, <laughs> Jordanians. to Jordanians who own Mercedes cars, you know. So I remember while, while in the plane talking about, you know, you know, with the guys next to you. By the way, my time in the plane usually, usually at that time used to be uh, a time where I invent you invent on the plane. Okay. And most of the code that I wrote was written on the vomiting bags, was written <laughs> on, on, you know, the, yes. uh, the uh, paper, the, uh, the, what they call it, the, you know, the paper that they give you with the food. Yeah, okay? the napkin. The napkins. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, that's, that's the kind of algorithm that I used to write so that when I arrive, I put it on the computer. There were no laptops at that time. <laughs> and it would run from the first time. From the first time? From the first time. No compilation errors, nothing. Okay? And that, of course, gave confidence. Because from the beginning, the story how I became... You know, a computer science major is, is a contributor to that also. So, so it, it was something that I, I you know, uh, loved to do. Was so, there a moment when you first, when did you first learn about computer science? Was there a time where you realized what you were enjoying had a name? It had potentially a professional path? And again, I would like to say that I was one of those kids who used to do, you know, uh, play with their computers at home and do all of the tricks and, you know, assemble and disassemble their computers before joining a university, etc. I was not one of those. That is not your story. My only interaction with technology was the Atari. The Atari. If you remember. I sure do. Absolutely. I was an Atari player. <laughs> I used to be good. <laughs> and because it was not, uh, you know, there was no en enough luxury to be able to buy the joysticks because they used to break. 
I became... Especially if you were a passionate player, they broke. <laughs> you know, they used to break. And I used to be the one, okay, who can fix the joysticks to everyone in Jordan. And that became, you know, something that I am known about. But Atari is as far as I was able to interact with technology, nothing more, nothing less. How I became a computer scientist is a totally different story. I went to the university to become an engineer. But my average at the Tawjihi, you heard about the Tawjihi, the high school in Jordan, you get a mark. You go to one exam, you get a mark, that mark will decide what you will study. No, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one exam, one mark, you will become a doctor or you will become, you know, a chemistry major. Is, Is that, that still today? today? Until today. Okay. It's a respectable uh, uh, program, national program. It used to be the best in the region. Everyone trusted Tojihi although no pressure on the students. But whoever graduated from that system was able, with high marks, unlike me, <laughs> was able to make it uh, in the right direction, at least. Me, I was not, uh, you know, one of those lucky guys. So when I went to, 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 to registrar at the university, he said, no, you can't become an engineer. Your marks are below the, the minimum that we can accept. So I'll put you in computer science major. It was like just coming out, you know. We call, that a, we call that a happy accident. So I said, no, I want to become an engineer. He said, no, you cannot become an engineer. This is where you are going. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up in computer science. So when I wanted to do my schedule, I made, I picked all the subjects that will allow me to transfer from computer science that <laughs> to I don't want to, to become an engineer. <laughs> so my, my supervisor said, no, you have, okay, you can take whatever you want, except one, you have to take computer science 101. I said, I don't want computer science 101. I want to become an engineer. <laughs> I swear to God. And he forced me to take it because it was not possible to be a computer science major without having computer <laughs> science 101 in the first semester. So I went to that lecture. I remember it was a big hall. Richard Pau Professor Richard Pauster from, I think, Poland was a Polish professor. Oh, my God. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> what is this? Eye-opening for uh, you? It was a complete eye-opening until I went to the lab because this subject had, you know, the, the normal lecture room and then you had to spend like eight hours over the week, okay, over two hours, two hours, two hours every day in the lab. So when I went to the lab, and I operated the first computer with the first command. It was like, you know, okay, I'm hooked now. That's You're it. Right. <laughs> and the problem now became, what am I going to tell my other eight, ten friends and brothers that we all agreed to become engineers rather than <laughs> computer scientists? It took a while, but at the end of the day, they all converted from, they from all engineering converted. to computer science, and they joined the company at one point of their life. 
but it was the point this is where this is why i say it's not my decision it was this is a decision that was made for me rather than do you hold a sense of responsibility because you are i'll say this and i'll use maybe more um an american sort of phrase or, or maybe thought which would be you know given what you just talked about to be at the beginning and to be where we are now in 2022 in what you've achieved and your companies have achieved, you could argue that you are a bit of a forefather of computer science in this region. Do you, do you have a sense of responsibility? How do you sort of wear that in your shoulders? Yeah. Well, no, there, there were people who came before me. I can tell you that we were for a long time the only company and the only group of founders who felt responsible about the made in Jordan thing. The made, the made in Jordan. Made yeah. in Jordan. There were few companies, that IT companies that started before ITG, but they were dealers of IBM, dealers they, of... They were resellers. Resellers. No one started the invention of software okay before itg and that's important and this is where i feel responsible i still since that time say that for a country this is why in the beginning if you remember i said it's not about the family it's about the family it's about the culture and it's about the political scene at the same time economy and political scene so in my opinion for a small country at that time and still today, like Jordan, the way to move forward is by innovation. You need, we need as a small country to be innovative enough to the point that we invent things, okay, that we own so that we can add markups, okay, on it so that we can become, you know, uh, 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 an industry of that, of that solution. Self-sustaining. And that will create self-sustainability, self uh, which we want to see. Otherwise, it will be very difficult for a country like Jordan to compete in a region that is very, very, very tough. If you want to do business process outsourcing, how can you compete with Egypt? Uh, we, uh, you know, the number of computer science graduates in Egypt uh, is like 10 times the number of graduates of all topics and subjects and majors in Jordan. That's 100 million versus a 10 million today. At that time, we were talking about 4.2 million. Jordan population was 4.2 million. How can you compete? You know, if you want to compete in industries that requires major capital investment, okay, how you can compete with, you know, the countries that have oil. That's, That's what I was going to ask you. Does this so, come sort of because you're a country that is reliant on others for your fuel? That absolutely. You... Absolutely. It's very difficult. But therefore, to, to, pick computers or IT, the IT industry at that time, it was not called the IT industry, but later on it became, but to pick computer science in general, programming in specific, 
okay, as a vertical where we can build to enhance other verticals and create an industry out of was the thing that I thought is the natural thing for Jordan to, to, to do. And this is, this is exactly what we were uh, you know, calling for since that time. So yes, we feel that we are the godfathers of, uh, you know, the IP-based in industry in Jordan, intellectual property industry in Jordan, okay? But at the same time, we respect everyone else who has been around us and who helped flourish the whole industry. At the end of the day, you have to remember, when King Abdullah came into throne uh, in 99, uh, there was no ICT ministry. There was a ministry that is responsible for telephone and mail, okay, the actual mailbox, okay. Uh, what we did, the private sector came with an initiative, all right, that was accepted by His Majesty, that ended up with converting that in ministry into the ICT industry ministry, okay. But at the same time, we had the luxury of picking the first minister, groom him for a year, teach him, train him, okay, to become the minister of the first ICT ministry, not only in Jordan, in the region for sure, and maybe in the world. There were, you know, at that 99, we're talking, there was no vertical called information technology. There were computer science companies. There were, you know, companies that do softwares, companies that do hardware, but as a vertical was not recognized anywhere in the world until, I think, you know, early 2000 when the crash happened, if you remember. So you made, a, you made a decision at some point in the success of ITG that, and, and these are my words, so correct me, but that you made a decision that you had achieved a level of success. You, you were comfortable in your skin in the way in which you were able to lead and build. And then you decided to add to the family of ITG through other ventures. Was there, was there a pivotal point? At what, how did you, what was the conversation like within your own mind about that process? Because a lot of people are reticent to do that because it can take away from the original, right? It, it can divert attention. It can weaken what was once a strength because we are now focused on other, true, other items. True, true. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if I can claim to be one of those guys, but for sure, in the first 25 years of our history, we were focused. We, are, we were only an IT company. And actually, one of the nicknames that I know the community used to call me is <laughs> the focus guy. The, the focus, focus guy. Okay? Because this is what we do. We are, if we were for 25 years, if you want to build a backbone, okay, you need time. You need resources. You need, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, you know, when you make beer, <laughs> you, need, you, you really need time to, to make it good, okay? And that's, that's, that's what the time that we needed to be able to expand. Remember, 
I received so many advices that, Walid, move to Germany. This is your market. Move to Germany. Walid, this is the time for this kind of industry, that you, this kind of you know, software uh, uh, that you are making. Move to America. There is something called Silicon Valley. Go there. <laughs> to me, it was a, an absolute no. Okay? Because I wanted this to remain made in Jordan. Of course, that, that imposed some limitations, but at the same time, it helped creating the industry that, you know, we see and we know about in Jordan, which I am extremely proud of. Yet, the diversification, if that what you meant, okay, came later on. It came when we felt that we are, we were comfortable, okay, enough to be able to uh, expand into other areas. We, and usually this comes not because we stopped making money, enough money out of the, you know, the original business. Actually, it's on the contrary. Until today, the original business is the one that is generating most of the revenue that we are using to invest in other areas. But when you have enough, you know, resources to think about other verticals, it is better to structure it rather than to have it in such a way where somebody would come to you say, all right, how about we talk about agriculture? Okay, we can do that. You can do it one time, two times, but later on you think that, all right, this is a vertical that I would like to focus on. And then you go into one, one layer up okay, and say, all right, I need to think about all investments in all verticals to be structured rather than, you know, just talk about agriculture, talk about education, talk about pharmaceutical, etc. We have ideas not necessarily related to IT only, but we have ideas in multiple sectors, okay? But at the same time, we respect the fact that we are not the experts in, in those sectors. This is why we, we, make, we make sure that we bring the experts uh, that we can trust, that are loyal, and we help them build uh, you know, that vertical for, for basically the group. With success comes interest from outside parties, Absolutely. not just locally, but across the world. Is it harder to say no or harder to say yes? It's harder to say no, actually. Yeah. Because you have a heart for entrepreneurs, absolutely. This is this is why, uh, because because we we you know, entrepreneurship is is a word that has been invented. Uh, I'm sure it has been in the dictionary for a long time, but in reality, it's what ten years old now, fifteen years old. Yeah, it wasn't around when we were growing up. Uh, so uh, the guy who sells has a you know a shop uh, down the street here. Is an entrepreneur, if you think about it. He is, yes. And, and, and the manipulation of that world is something that troubled me big time, by the way. Uh, because, because everyone started like the idea of calling themselves startups, although they have been in the business for the past 20 years. <laughs> what are you doing if you are still a startup after 20 years, you know? And the entrepreneurship became like a habit of raising money 
and a mean to raise money rather than to generate revenue. Okay? And me as an entrepreneur and one of the guys who established this industry within the region was troubled completely with that concept. I love to support, you know, people with great ideas. And I think everyone needs to be supported. If we had that kind of support when we started, I think we would have been, you know, totally in a different scale uh, compared to where we are here today. But at the same time, I hated the concept of using that model to take other people's money to expand rather than thinking about the revenue that you need to make to be able to expand. And this is something, if you remember, if you, if you, you know, look into the ecosystem of entrepreneurship today, this is where it is heading. No one cares about where you want to expand. Now, they started to focus about, all right, we'll give you money, but tell me about your revenue expectation. Yeah, let's talk about multiples. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly, you know, before the, the, the way companies were evaluated was based on factors that are not related to success, not related to number of customers, not related to, you know, how much money you are making, net profit. Those factors were not taken into consideration. Something else was taken into consideration. How cool the idea is. Okay. Fine, it's, it's cool enough, but is it going to generate money at the end of the day? Not necessarily. And that's, that's why I, th I think it's, it's tough to say. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy Matt at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. Com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L dot com. And now, back to our guest. Let, let's talk. We'll, I want to get into some of the, uh, the additions to ITG uh, in that portfolio. But I want to do it through the lens of a father. So I've been able to spend time <clears throat> with your son, Zaid, in Rome and here. And the connection that you have is incredibly deep. And... It feels very intentional as I'm even sitting here with you today and getting to sort of now get, get to know the man, the myth, the legend that I've been hearing about. Um, take me back to having Zaid at around four years old sitting on your knee in meetings. Now, I would imagine, and I'm a father, that there is a, it's almost hard to put into words those experiences that you just share with your son. So I would imagine that is for you, but it's also that it provided a glide path for a young man that is now a professional and that there would be a great sense of pride in seeing that growth, almost like uh, farming and seeing something come to life. Tell me about that. In one of the interviews that I made with Al Jazeera, they asked me a, a question about entrepreneurship. And my my gut feeling or my, my quick answer without any kind of thinking uh, because I was comfortable in that interview was that you don't, you are not born as an entrepreneur. 
you are born as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is not something that you acquire. You might have it, you don't know about it, but you have it, okay? So you need to do some, get some skills in order to basically uncover the gold that you have under the, the, the dust. And, and uh, this, is, this is very important factors in building the character of the people that you want to support, okay? The way, the way I look at it is that you need to have, you know, the seed in order to be able to grow it. The seed cannot be given, at least this one. And this is why I say, if, even if Beethoven comes today alive again and tries to teach me how to play piano, I can assure you he will fail. <laughs> I don't have that seat. <laughs> and, and you can build on that. Now, now the idea of, of, you know, independent, being an independent, okay, is something very important. And this is, if as a father, if you want to, you know, want your children to be independent, then you have to be, uh, you have to plant certain things in their character at the time. I, I always say, you know, between four, maybe I, I use six, six and 12 is the time where you put the values that you want to put in your children. After 12 is very difficult, before six is very difficult, okay? I'm not saying is it is impossible, but it's not the normal times where you, this is the time where you plant, okay? And, and uh, I think that was the main goal that I wanted to have in my children, okay? Have, give them the sense of independence. And this is why the luxury that other parents used to give to their children, it was not an option that I wanted to have with my children. Uh, therefore, uh, it was, it was uh, sometimes tough for them, but for a purpose that used to, which I think you know, I have achieved so far. Do you see yourself in Zaid when you see him <laughs> live and work as an entrepreneur? Because you're exactly right. I mean, that's been my experience. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and and that makes me, brings proud to my to my you know uh, to myself uh, because again the seeds that were planted 15 years ago. Uh, you know, are are grown to become a good oak tree today, and that's that's exactly what I uh, wanted to have. Uh, and again, it's not what I want in him, okay, or in them, okay. It is it is what I believe should be provided to them so that they can make the right decisions, so that they can grow. They can grow. You cannot make you know help them grow all the time. There is a point where you will disengage, and you will depend on the things that you already gave them before. Before that, anything other than that, I think is is not is not achievable. And so now let's talk about some of the the elements that are a part of the growing tree or ecosystem of ITG, and one of which is the World Refugee School. Talk a little bit about the impetus to have WRS in a world where we've never had a refugee crisis like we have today. Um, 
what does it mean? Because it goes beyond technology, right? This is about this is about human beings. This is about the underpinning of our species and and cultures across across the globe. Again, <laughs> uh, I'm a believer, but at the same time, I believe that uh, you know it's not that we're believing is does not mean that you need to sit down in a room and say all right everything will come to me because i believe you have to work hard and the harder you work things will open up to you based on your belief and your hard work and there are certain paths that yeah you know i wouldn't say that they were set for you but at least your hard work okay led to that and by by having both you come to you know whatever legacy that you wanted to to achieve or build wrs is one of the most important things i think uh, we have achieved in our in our history uh, not because of the technology that is used there but because of the purpose uh, that it was built for to serve uh, and again i i would love to to say that i you know I had a dream about it, and I woke up in the morning. I wrote it down the way I used to write algorithms <laughs> you write on, on, the, on the vomiting uh, bags. <laughs> it, was, it didn't happen like that. Actually, it was a consultation that uh, uh, that that was requested by one of the guys that we, uh, one of our partners through ITG America office, because we they knew that we are in education, obviously. They knew that we are from the Middle East, obviously. Uh, the, the, the Syrian crisis was at its peak at that time. And every new major news channel was talking about it. So somebody who made lots of money decided that, all right, I don't like this. How can I help? But I don't want to go to the normal organizations that uh, uh, the usual suspects that usually people donate money to because according to him at that time a big chunk of that money would go into the admin fees rather than the actual you know purpose the actual need yeah, yeah. and uh, when uh, over that phone call i was telling them you make sure that you cover this point you make sure that you cover that point by the time i i reached point number seven they said okay this is too much come to the meeting <laughs> <laughs> so we went to that meeting and during in that meeting it came to my mind that uh, i asked him why are you doing this he said i asked around and they said if i donate a million dollar that should be enough to teach 25 to 35, you know, students for three years in a very tough situation like what we're having in Syria. So I told him, all right, instead of spending $1 million to teach 25 students, how about use that money to teach 25 million students? So he was like, what? <laughs> Said. It's an idea that came to my mind. Give me three days and I'll come back to you. <laughs> and he did. And I did at the same time. Three days later, we came up with uh, the concept of, uh, you know, establishing something that would solve, uh, you know, the education problem for the world refugees. And that became the mission. 
okay? And nothing more. There was no name. There was nothing, you know, no means. How are we going to do it? But at least I was able to convince him to give the money to this startup rather than to someone who would go and spend 85% of that money trying to get into the camp, okay, to be able to spend 150000 on teaching 25 students for three years. So, and this is how, how uh, you know, the World Refugee School started. And the name came from an interview. I went to, uh, I think it was one of the major forums uh, that, that deals with the uh, refugees crisis. And during that forum, I found out that that was in the early stages, five, four, seven years ago, <clears throat> that, you know, when a refugee crisis hits somewhere, the world get three red buttons or lights, okay? One, basically to provide food, obviously. The second one, to provide shelter. And the third one is to provide medicine. But at the same time, everyone knew that once you are classified as a refugee, you will need 14 years, okay? You will need 14 years to go back, to go back to where you started. And that is a crisis by itself. Because once you are three years outside the formal education system, you can never go back. And I said to myself, why? Why no one is seeing the problem, you know? And I use the example uh, without, without, you know, using the, the, the nice words. The actual facts on the, on the ground is if we don't look into this, we are going to, this is the generation that is going to become a terrorist or a prostitute. It's as simple as this. So unless we interact and we create the fourth, you know, light, which is education for refugees, it will never be solved. The, and at that time, the total number of refugees in the world was 62 million. We created the presentation, I remember, the first PowerPoint within the three days, okay, it was 62 million. By the time we established WRS, it was 68 million. By the time we executed, started to execute our first project, it was like four or five million more, and so on. So this is not a problem that is going to be resolving itself within the coming one, two, three, ten years. This is a problem that is going to stay, unfortunately, for some time. So unless we come up with, you know, innovative solution, out-of-the-box idea, we will never be able to help those, this, this distracted, unfortunate category of, of uh, the world population. You said something there that I think is incredibly important and I don't want to gloss over, which was, if we don't do something, these young people have very limited paths. And those paths, you use the example of becoming a terrorist or a prostitute, are, they sound very dramatic to the West, but there's an, an incredible reality to what you're saying. This is, this is, those are realities on the ground. And what those have... In the past five years. That's right. And those have global implications. Absolutely. And the reason I say that is because what I'm finding is a bit of a pattern 
which I think is in, which is a beautiful pattern of, of yours, which is to say you're not there to just invent a widget or sort of a one-off, as we would say. That if you want to go into a sector, you want to breathe oxygen into that sector. Because if we have, if we have oxygen, we have water, right? We, have li- we can have life. So whether that's within hope. computer science, you can have hope. Hope. Right? It's, it's all about hope. Listen, um, I think the Syrian refugees brought a new standard to the term refugee in the world. In the past, refugees usually used to be, you know, people who have to leave their countries, maybe villages, okay, displaced, to become displaced, okay, until until the Syrians became refugees. The Syrians were educated. The Syrians had different priorities, or the priorities were not set the way the UN set them for them, for the world refugees, okay? It's not food and then shelter and then medicine. It is food, education, and everything else later. Syrian refugees were willing to sleep in the street for the sake of having, you know, two hours of education for their children. And that's very important. And I have to say, that helped WRS, okay, to establish its focus. Again, going back to the focus. What's the problem with the education system for the refugees in the world? Is it that no one was providing that service? Actually, there are too many who are providing such a service within that domain. The problem is, one, it is too small. People are going after the 25 students rather than the 25 million students. People are going after self-recognition rather than solving the problem of those individuals. And people are going after, you know, having them read and write rather than having them be able to get a degree that would allow them to go to Harvard, despite the fact that they are refugees. There's a wide range there. And, you know, it's... That's a chasm that you cannot cross. You can. Well, I mean, if you take take what the masses are doing. Of course, of course. You cannot do it the way it was dealt with. So unless you bring back formal education into the formula of education or refugee education, it would be impossible to be able to bridge the gap between what, where we are today and where at least at WRS board would like to be in the future, okay? And formal education, when we started WRS, we found out that no one was paying attention to that. Everyone was talking about, you know, how can we make them a skilled labor, a good skilled labor? Why? Who's, who, who decided on their behalf? Okay. Yeah, they're putting a, a ceiling on their so, potential. Absolutely, absolutely. And the people who, who saw, you see that they made it as a refugee, those are individuals who work themselves on themselves for their children to be able to make it. But that is not the norm. WRS is trying to bring a new norm to the education within the uh, refugee uh, community. 
And this is exactly why I believe is one of the most important thing that, that uh, needs to happen. I remember when we started, people used to laugh. What are you talking about? You know, you want to bring formal education to a community that is displaced and on the run all the time? How can you do that? It's, you know, we deal with countries where you have schools, brick and mortar kind of schools, and yet we cannot give them accreditation and we cannot bring them up to speed and etc. And now you want to introduce the same concept of formal education, the way we know it, into a community that is on the move? We said, yes. Tell me what you need to approve it. Tell me what you need to accredit it. And I will come back to you if I can achieve it. And if I achieve it, you are going to accredit it. And this is exactly what happened. Providing accredited, certified, formal education. And, and portable. That is portable 100%. Okay. To a community that is on the move, not helped only education. It helped other means. Because today, imagine... Actually, the journey, I don't know if they, if they describe the journey for you, but the journey, you are in your village. Tomorrow, you are in a different village, so you are displaced already. Okay. The day after tomorrow, you are in a third village. Then you are on the border. Then you are on the other side of the border. Then you are in a camp. Then you are in a different camp. Then you are on the road. You are on the border. That journey until you decide that as a refugee still you are a refugee all right i'm going to settle in zachary that's a four-year kind of journey remember the formula three years outside the formal education you're dead you're out you cannot go back okay so four three all the factors put them into perspective if you don't use technology, if you don't use WRS model or something like that, you will not be able to solve the problem. And the problem needs to be solved so that we don't end up with people without hope. People without hope are dangerous people that we don't want to have within our society. But we have to remember that hope is something that we provide as a society. So if they don't have it, it means that we took it from them. And this is very important. And this is not something that works within one community that, that is facing the crisis. This is something that the effect of it is going to you know, spill over every corner in the world. No one country is, is immune from that. Do you feel the narrative is changing? That when you first started and people thought you were crazy? Or... I love it. I love it, you know. Sometimes I tell Zaid that, uh, and the team, all right, it's very important that it's very comfortable, you know, we feel comfortable and proud uh, that we see what we used to preach five years ago, okay, is becoming a fact today. Yes, maybe we are not recognized for it, but that's totally irrelevant in the context of WRS in specific. Because this is a noble mission. 
we should not be after the going after the recognition. We should be after going after, you know, the problem. Is it being solved? Did we help solving it? Regardless who's being recognized for it. Is, is there, there a balance there, there though? That in that, I understand the spirit of absolutely. not wanting to be recognized. Absolutely, absolutely. The balance is required. This is why we push them that let's get a little bit <laughs> of that recognition. And the reason why, because you need it to be able to keep the hope coming. You know, otherwise it's it's very, very difficult. You will you will you will assume that the mission has been accomplished. And uh, you know And it feels like the time is right, Waleed, because if we think about ESG, we think about sort of all these sort of corporate compliance issues and trying to protect the climate. Um, and hopefully in a, in a more uh, aggressive way <laughs> to support our planet, that these conversations about humans, just like we're talking about the elements that support our ability to live on this planet, are just as vital. So it feels as if the time potentially is right in that balance to share the story in a way that evokes support and emotional connection and understanding that even if this is happening on the other side of the world, that it does impact where I live, wherever that is? You'd be surprised, actually. <clears throat> the, the short answer is yes, we need that. It is the time to, you know, get the voice out about refugee education in general, about WRS in specific, because we still believe as, as shareholders, I wouldn't call it shareholders, this is a non-profit, but as founders, okay, we believe that this is something that we started and we believe this is the right solution to the problem that the world is facing. But I have to give the credit to the people in the West, okay, although refugee crisis before Ukraine is, was never thought that is going to be, you know, a Western problem, okay, or a problem in the West, Europe, US, anywhere, okay, in the Western world. But most of the money that is being donate, donated is coming from the West. Yet, okay, this is money that is being donated without knowing how it is going to be spent. It's back to your million dollars gets 150,000 of services. 83, 85% that goes into, you know, the, the admin cost that, you know, that is insanely over overpriced. It should not be the case. I understand why, because those are massive mammoth kind of organizations. But at the same time, this is not helping, you know, solving the problem. And by the way, this is not only in education. This is in every single aspect of the four pillars that I talked about. Today, there is no discussion about refugees without mentioning the fourth pillar that we invented, that we fought in the past seven years to have. It is there. And the best example or testimony to that is the conference that you attended in Rome. Now, education... And, you know, refugee education is something that is on the table, is on the agenda every, in every meeting that takes place anywhere in the world when they want to discuss, you know, how can we help refugees in this corner of the world or, or that corner of the world. Let's talk about IAG. 
Um, I had the, the, the privilege of, of going to the farm. But I, well, so we're going to talk about uh, being a date farmer. So people listening are going to say, well, that's a, quite a left turn that we're taking. But <laughs> if they're listening to you, um, I think they're going to walk away and say, you know what, it actually makes perfect sense. It's not that you were there in sort of the refugee perspective to not only stop the bleeding, but to heal for long-term health, if we're using that as an analogy, but that it's about understanding how to assimilate into a community, support local people, and grow opportunity. And it just happens to be that dates and medjool you know, palms are sort of the vehicle to do that. But before we talk about the specific specifics of the farm, take me back to, here's another left turn, everybody. Take me back to Northern California and, and walking into a Costco. Oh my God, who told you? <laughs> <laughs> I know quite a lot about you, Ali. You know a lot. I know a lot. <laughs> t t take us into Costco. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Everybody has has something in their in their life that they would like to do when they retire. My dream has always been if you ask me like fifteen years ago, what do you want to do when you when you retire? My my obvious answer would be retire. What does that mean? <laughs> if you mean I stopped working as the CEO of ITG, then I would like to become a farmer. Okay? So agriculture has always been in the back of my mind. The Costco story is that usually we travel the, 30th, the last day of Ramadan. Okay. That year, we had to travel the 15th in the middle of Ramadan. So we went to California and we did not take, we fast, obviously. Okay. And usually you break your fasting at the end of the day by having dates okay three three dates that's the the number or one or three regardless how hungry you feel <laughs> but this is how so we we didn't bring any dates from jordan so i had to go to costco and look for, for dates and i saw the majood it was unbelievably one expensive which i thought it was good Okay, but two, it was not the majhul that we used to eat. Okay, it was kind of like home. kind of like the fake beer that I had at Petra. So it is, it is exactly like it was. I'm not saying that it was not good majhul. It is Costco is a is a place that I I don't want them to ban no, me from no. going there. But but at least it was not the at least the majhul that I would like people to try. So when I I went back to Amman. We were with, at the board level talking about diversification in general. It's time to diversify, you know. And I'm, I'm, I remember in the beginning, we, I'm a risk taker. I'm not a gambler, but I'm a risk taker. And usually, it's, it's an issue of calculation. How do you do it? How do you like to do it? So I went to the board and I said, I think it's time to go into agriculture. Well, 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 what do you mean? <laughs> I said, agriculture. We want to, I, I'm suggesting that we diversify into agriculture and I would like to start a project of uh, Majhul uh, Farm. 
I said, you want to program the trees or what? He <laughs> <laughs> said, no. He said, Walid, where is technology? <laughs> I want to. So everyone was like, well, what, what are you talking about? Trees are programmable now? No, 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 no. We will grow trees. <laughs> but we will, we will think about something later on, how we will get technology into it later on. And this is, I got the green light. So I remember my first meeting with uh, uh, Imad that I told him, I would like to get, get into that. Go and find me uh, uh, a feasibility study about, about build a, make me a feasibility study about Majhul. So he came like two days later, I said, Oh, wow. <laughs> too, too early. He said, no, I didn't do anything. I went to the Ministry of Agriculture and I found out that they made already feasibility studies on this sector. So I took it, I looked at it, I said, and what do you think? I asked him. I, he said, I think it's a good thing. You can make, you know, a good 30, 35% on your investment. I said, fine. How much is that? <laughs> he said $15,000 or JDs, which is around $20,000. I said, okay, that's fine, but let's find a way to add two zeros to that number. He said, what do you mean? I said, I want to see a feasibility study that will make it make half a million of net profit rather than $50,000. Okay. He said, yeah, but we need land. I said, of course, we're not going to grow, you know, trees in the in the air. Uh, so this is how we did it. I have to give him the credit. He went and found out where's the best place to grow mature trees or palm trees. He found out a location where he can start with, you know, one piece of land and then grow it to, to become where we are today. And uh, I think this is... Uh, very important because that serves the purpose of having a common service area that would serve the whole land. The problem with agriculture in general, okay, that land has been cut into smaller pieces. Land has been divided into smaller pieces. And now, because we know that smaller farmers are struggling, we're trying to make them aggregate their services somehow. We're trying to use technology. We're trying to use unions. We're trying to use groups, okay? Because a small piece of land cannot sustain itself. A small piece of land can sustain a family, but cannot sustain, you know, a business. And that's one of the major problems. And I think we did it in a very smart way when it came to that point in specific. So it's a, a land or a location that was able, we were able to expand it, okay, so that we can have one service center rather than multiple. It's self-sustaining. It's self-sustaining. If you, you saw the pool. I, I did. I, I was in the hospital in, uh, in San Francisco when they started digging the hole. And they used to send me pictures. They said, we will, we will, we will start the project. I said, okay. 
They started sending the pictures. They said, we will make a pool in this location. They sent me the, the GPS, Google, whatever. I was able to at least to look at it. Okay. And then they started sending the other pictures where the, you know, the big machines are carving out all the sand. And I said, are you doing a pool or a dam? <laughs> Why would you need that big area? And they explained the, the situation. And you see, if me, the IT guy, would go into this, I would not think about something like this in order to save. This is 30% saving on the coast. 30% savings by having that. Just by having a common infrastructure. You see? And this is exactly what we are trying to promote. I love the way you, you said it in the beginning. You know, this is absolutely a mean to help the community. This is a mean to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 good to, to another vertical that you believe in. And again, I will tie that to the statement that I said in the beginning. You know, you're born as an entrepreneur. Okay. When I built my house, I wanted to have self-sustainability of the whole house. What does that mean? Water, electricity, and land that you can farm to the basics, to get the basics. That house collect 370 or 80, 380 cubic meters every season of water, rainwater. Just to put that into perspective, this is a small, you know, it is enough to not to need water from the city for a complete one and a half years. For a year and a half. For a year and a half, is this, this is enough to farm, you know, to irrigation. If you filter it right, it's enough for you to you consume it within the house. And it's enough. To, and the same thing, we did the electricity. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the whole house is self-generating in terms... It's a greenhouse completely. I didn't all know All the electricity is generated from solar. And all solar panels, we have more than 197 solar panels on the roof. You don't see it because usually people would do it like this. When I contracted the, the company, I said, it has to be hidden. No one should see it. And this is how we, we built it. So the idea of self, self-sustaining is very important. Now, let's tie that to the pandemic. What happened during the pandemic? The pandemic, the supply chain got distracted. distracted. The, first, the first thing people started to worry about was food. Ukraine war. What's the number one issue that the world is worried about? Food again. Yeah. Okay. So the supply chain is something and is something that you need to, you know, protect if you want to live in a comfortable fashion. Or you become self-sustained. And this is why, for example, Jordan got alarmed. We are too small to be able to survive a crisis like that. And this is why today, okay, we are helping the government 
to work on having Jordan a self-sustained, you know, in the perspective of agriculture. Otherwise, it's very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So you are working with the government to figure out what that solution might look like? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we have enough experience to be able, or at least we have, we have enough ideas that can start a discussion around that, uh, uh, you know, important chapter. Because without, without this, it's, it's going to be very challenging, very challenging. I will say the one thing when I walked away from the date farm, you know, I got to go in and, and see the dates processed and, and watch the, the employees. And I asked one, uh, one woman that was giving a bit of a, a tour and talking about it. I, I asked if it was okay to, to ask her what it meant to her. And, you know, her eyes just lit up the, the pride that she had. And it was not just that she was there at the farm, but that she, in essence, the way in which it was conveyed and translated was that she, she could envision herself continuing to grow as if she were a crop on a farm, right? And I thought that was very, very powerful as a self-sustaining human being, right? That it's the opposite of what we're seeing when we see people that are displaced, disenfranchised. Yeah, yeah. Listen, the issue of being displaced does not need a war to have it. You can be displaced within your house. You can be displaced within your country. You can be displaced within your community. Unless you provide the hope, again, the light on, at the end of the tunnel, it's very difficult for people to, to survive. You know, people need hope to be able to walk up in the morning and, you know, do whatever they want to do during the light to be able to survive that day and the day after and the day after. And I think what we are doing within that community is just providing hope and opportunities. If you're good and you want to grow, this is the place to be. It's as simple as this. But at the same time, you are serving a much bigger purpose. By the way, the date project or the agriculture project within the concept of ITG is not about date. It's not about, you know, making another, there are like 500 farmers. You could be a peanut farmer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the purpose that you want to serve within, within that, within that uh, context. And it just happened that I was in California at a Costco, <laughs> at a Costco <laughs> that where I needed, you needed your majors. So we are to give everybody context. We are sitting in your office in a neighborhood um, of Amman. That was your neighborhood growing up. Uh, I want to give people sort of a, hopefully I can do a good job of this a sort of a, a virtual walkthrough here so that they can paint in their, their minds where we're sitting, but we're sitting on couches here in your office and, and your desk is on a raised platform, which was a part of the, just the structure of the house. Uh, I want to talk about the table over here, the conference table, because it is my recollection that that is your design. Um, it's a mix of wood and glass that I've seen around the office. But what I love about it is it, it looks like a series of X's from you know, the base in the wood that supports the glass. And it says to me that there's a balance of elements 
that goes into the way in which you operate just as a human being, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a community member, to understand that it is a very delicate world that we live in and that it takes an understanding of the elements and a balance. Yeah. Uh, actually, this, this is the, the office that you see where we have the leather seats here, the meeting room there, and my desk there on the left side is exactly how I imagined that during that New Year's. New Year's. Uh, you, ima you imagined this. When I said I want to stay in Amman, I said I want to stay in Amman, and this is how my office is going to look like. The only difference was that the, you know, the table was here and the, the couch was there. And we tried this when we did it. It was out of balance, so we flipped. That's the only difference. But there is a nice story about it. Uh, Rod, the balance issue, glass, wood, the cross, you know, the, 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 the uh, what we call it, uh, the leg of the table is definitely bringing, bringing the, the message that we want to provide into reality. If you don't have that kind of balance, okay, between what you want to do, then you will never be able to achieve what you want to achieve. One. Two, glass is very important. Glass is transparent. Okay? You have to have transparency if you want to move forward. So if you have the focus, you have the balance, and you have the transparency, I think we will be able to, you know, uh, be able to move forward faster. And this is exactly, I think, our, uh, those are the values that we operate with. I don't know if you went to the other building. I have, I have been, yes. On the left side, when you go in, there is some writing. Did you see it? I did see the writing, yes. Did they explain that writing to you? I'm going to blame jet lag, so if you'd like... <laughs> <laughs> they should, actually. Those are that writing construct right inside the, the door right inside the door yes. yes yes the value where itg operate at those are my values when i started the company those became the value of the founders and this is what the like the code that we agreed upon okay and this became the code of the board this became the value and the code of basically the staff uh, and this is why it is right in front of everyone when you go into the building, okay? And we are, and I think if you read it, and it's get, I will make sure that somebody will, will provide you with the right translation, because the problem with the... My, my goal was learning Arabic in one week. I don't know if, if you I... can If you can do that, I will, I will be much happier than providing the, you know... The translation. <laughs> the translation. But the right translation is very important because the problem with the, uh, it's not a problem in the Arabic language. Arabic language is, a, now a Sherkazian is saying what I'm saying, okay? But Arabic language is a strong language that, that if you don't provide the right translation, you would lose like, again, 85% of the meaning. You would get 
the direction of the meaning, but the value, the, 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 the picture, you know, and the, the feeling, all of that in the same... The sensibility. Yeah. All of that comes with the same statements that you provide in Arabic. This is why Arabic, I still believe, is one of the most dis dis descriptive languages that you can use to describe anything okay, in the world. So if we, if we continue in this sort of virtual office tour, at your desk you have two chairs that face one another, and you have a jacket that has been sitting, by, by all reports, for quite some time and has not been moved. So I felt like it would be, it would be time to unearth the, uh, the meaning of that jacket to you, <laughs> because I find you to be a purposeful man, and uh, that things don't happen by accident. <laughs> well, I'm a six foot seven. Sometimes people say I am six foot six. So <laughs> after a long day, <laughs> yeah, exactly after a long day. But regardless, it means that I am a tall guy. Okay, and I used to be very thin, very thin. So it was very difficult for me to find clothes. Very difficult, much more than you can think. Okay, I have a nice story with the CEO of Levi's. So, so you're basically you're solving all these other issues, but you can't find clothing. So I cannot find clothes in normal shops until online shopping came, and it was it was a blessing to me at least. So I I can't remember when was the last time I went uh, you know shopping physically, and it was when I bought that jacket actually. That was the last time. That, that was the last time I went to buy. So what does that mean then for you? No, it means, it means that, you know, I love that jacket because that jacket, according to one of uh, my dear friends, when he saw me wearing it, he said, uh, uh, you are becoming a rich person. He thought that the fit was right. So I love it. And now I cannot wear it because it is it is the color is not not no longer oh. <laughs> you know uh, in the right in the right uh, uh, the way it should be, but uh, I'm keeping it because for two things one there is an end for everything, so you need to innovate all the time, and two all things are good to look at, despite the fact that you cannot use them anymore. And this is very important. So not only balancing the elements like we talked about with the table or the mission for ITG, but it's also balancing the past and the present. Absolutely. And I could have put it in the closet long you, time. You could have put it in the closet. It's still there and it will remain there. Now, either I fix the problem of the color, which means that you can utilize the past and the experience and the good stuff from the old times into the new era of your life, your mission, your whatever you want to achieve in your life, or you keep it there to remember. It's as simple as this. I get the sense that it's about honoring the journey. Oh, I love, I'm a, a guy who honors everything old. And if you look, I don't know if anybody told you about, about the buildings that we, are, we occupy. Those are not normal buildings in this old nice neighborhood. Those buildings have a story to every person who lived in Amman, born in Amman between 1885 until today. Yeah, that used to be the automobile club. 
the, other the building behind me. Yeah. And this is the godfather building of the godfather of the financial sector of the of, of the country. So there is a heritage. I love heritage. old buildings. I love, uh, you know, we, we love to take them. We love to renovate them, uh, uh, to keep them and to, to treasure them. Uh, the same thing applies to the house in front of us, this one. This is the, this is the godfather of the whole neighborhood. That was it, that house. Yeah, that house. Over my right shoulder, there is an award of great significance on the wall. Can you, can you tell the audience that is not from Jordan the name of the award? And, and I would imagine that would be, of an official sort of capacity, the most meaningful outside of, obviously, the, the, in essence, the use of award or acknowledgement you get just in all the things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis with the incredible people that work with you. Now, for the record, this is, this is a 20-year-old certificate. Uh, it's one of the most uh, precious things that I have. This is why it's in my office, facing me where I sit, basically, next to the fireplace that has a wood that is 70, 80 years old. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is important because when we started, after we finished our business in Europe, Germany through Germany, we decided to invest in education. And when, and this is back in 1999, okay? In 99, we thought that we want to create use technologies to solve the education problem in terms of management, at least, okay? But the more the R&D team worked into the problem, the more the problem, the more we discovered that the problem is much bigger than just a management tool that is needed uh, within the environment. Uh, we ended up a few years later, okay, with what we called EduWave which is a comprehensive e-learning platform that seamlessly integrates the learning management with the, with the student information and communication and collaboration, which works on a cloud in 99. An important detail. <laughs> and has an audio-video conferencing that can create a virtual classroom. This is... This did not exist. This other. did not exist at all. No one even thought about it at that time. And to me, the most important component of the whole thing was it was made in Jordan. Back to the old story. So to me, that was, although before, our technology helped creating multiple publicly traded companies in Europe. We were the company who invented, you know, who wrote, literally wrote, okay, the payment gateway of Germany, okay? We were the company who came up with the first company that, that presented graphical interface to the payment uh, 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 documentation through a technology that we invented called Mosaic, okay? Uh, so all of that was great achievement, but the education part was a totally different ballgame. 
One, because it will, was never tapped. We were, with everything else, we were competing with others. With this, we were the one who invented the whole industry. You were a party of one. Exactly. So when we, we, when we applied to the World Summit Award, okay, the, they, they came up with the category e-learning because it was just there. I remember the, 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 what, the, what the head of the committee told me when we, when we were announced as winners, that you know, the decision was so easy because there was no competition. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as this. This is something that makes you feel proud. And this is why this certificate is of an important significance. It is not about us winning. It is about the recognition that we received okay, uh, from uh, a respectable organization uh, that, that says that, yes, we came up with a solution. We came up with an industry that did not come, that was not there. And what is the name of it? Order of Independence? It's, it's the, no, the Order of Independence is the other thing. The, the, the certificate, the yeah. first one is the World Summit Award. The World Summit. And talk the about the Order of Independence. The yeah. second recognition that, that uh, is, was the Order of Independence that I, was, uh, that I received from His Majesty King Abdullah II. To me, that was, uh, you know, uh, I'm not a guy that has, uh, um, you already went through the offices and you saw that we are not a company that, that does have the pictures of the people that I met with or the team, the C-level team met with. Although that we met with everyone, you know, I met with 103 ministers of education around the world. So you can imagine the amount of travel and the amount of meetings and the kind of level of meetings that we had. The only picture that we have is this uh, when I received the Order of Independence uh, because it was the first of its category for the IT sector. So when the Royal Court decided that we're going to give recognition for the IT sector uh, uh, on the Independence Day, and we are going to award the, you know, that level of uh, recognition for this sector. And the fact that they picked ITG and myself as the first to receive it was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a nice, I wouldn't say closure, but this is a nice, you know, push for a new, and you, uh, but I think you're being you're being incredibly humble as well. I mean, this is the equivalent of calling you sir, correct? True. <laughs> and I wish people could see it because of all the things we've talked about, it's the one topic that has left you a little bit speechless. Yeah. Uh, even though this happened not yesterday. No. Um, I, I, but the smile, the look in your eye, there's it's like a young boy pride. I am I'm very grateful. Yes. I, this is one of the, uh, the things that touched me, knowing especially that I, I found out later that uh, my name was not on the agenda, on the panel that they wanted to pick from, and my name was put by H.M. himself. Himself. Yeah. Now, yes, Jordan is a small country, 
<clears throat> but this is our king. I mean, this is... Yeah. So to us, this is very important. This To us, this is very... Uh, uh, what can I say? Humbling to the point where I cannot talk about it more. <laughs> well, we, as we as we wrap up, you you talked a little bit about you know when people were asking about retirement, and <laughs> I, I'm going to say on the record that, that I don't I don't I don't envision you retiring uh, in the least. You have the experience I have just sitting with you and your energy is of a very young soul um, that is incredibly energetic about taking risks, calculated risks, but bringing or bringing with you and along with you and propping up the people around you, that that is actually what brings you the greatest joy. Uh, listen, there is a limit where to what you can give. Okay. And unfortunately that is, is tied to time. So unless you move your dream, your mission, your vision, your what you want to achieve, your legacy to the next generation. And I don't mean, I don't mean your children only, okay? People around you. It will, you will never be able to achieve what you want to achieve, what you wanted to achieve in life. I don't think our story ends with our death. I think we were, we were born to continue until the judgment day. And everything that you achieve within that period, hopefully long, okay, is something that will add to your credit. Uh, we have to be realistic. Time is something that we could not break so far. And the only way to keep you going is by moving your whatever you have achieved and your legacy to the next generation. To put it into context, I remember many years back, ITG operates as there is a, a CEO, president, and the CEO, who's myself. And then there are were there were three vice presidents that that you know oversee the three major operation of the company. We're a very simple structured company. Okay. And this is why we are effective. Okay. I remember uh, I'm sure they told you that since more than 17, 18 years now, we have a social committee within the company <laughs> and they organize one lunch every one month, I think, a lunch every one month. Okay. We use that lunch as an event to welcome the new staff. Okay. Say goodbye to the old staff who, who decided to leave or retire and, and so on. In, in that, in that uh, day, or on that day, I remember uh, I asked the three VPs, including myself, to, to, to stand in a line. We asked the second layer to stand behind us. We took one, two steps back. We pushed them one step forward, and we said, this is the new leadership of the organization. And this is how you need to think about it, okay? And that explains at least our vision about moving forward. Because, you know, the next generation needs to take the lead in order to keep things moving forward. You stay around, you instruct, you, 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 you tell them what, you know, uh, you advise them when they need help. 
but but at least they need to make the, the decisions. They need to make the mistakes. Uh, and you need to tell them that you made a mistake after they make it, not before. <laughs> well, this we'll is leave. this is how how you operate. I will say that I hope that the audience that has gone through this, what has just been an incredible story and journey, just even for me to experience this with you, is that I hope that it is a window into the people of Jordan, the warmth of Jordan, the generosity of Jordan. And I hope that it encourages people to do research and learn about a people in a country that support one another in a very gentle and kind manner. Um, outside of some driving practices that make this Westerner <laughs> uh, feel a bit uh, uneasy uh, <laughs> from time to time. But what an incredible experience. Thank you for your transparency. I know the audience is, is better for hearing your story, even just a, a small piece of your story. So thank you for your time. Thank you for coming, one. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate, uh, you know, this conversation. But let me close with something about Jordan. Jordan is a very unique place, okay? If you read the history of this country, the first thing that would come to your mind would be after every chapter you read that, all right, this country cannot survive. But guess what? This country has survived for the past 100 years. And the reason why, because we have the energy and we have the power and we have the belief and the trust that makes us go and overcome every single challenge that we face. So it is the, the things that you described, okay, did not come because they were there, okay? Those things are the tools that we have within our country to be able to survive moving forward. So we welcome, welcome you to Jordan. I hope you would be, get the chance to come you know, later on. And uh, for the audience, I say, yes, read about Jordan, come and visit, and you are most welcome. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. <laughs>